You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Hi everybody, this is Danny once again, Danny Anderson of Mount Aloysius College, uh, thanking you for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Uh, I always appreciate uh, when I get uh, little notes from listeners, so if you have a, a comment about this show or an idea for another show, by all means, uh, go to our Facebook page or our Twitter account. We have a Gmail, uh, which is, I guess I should give you, is sectarianreview at gmail.com, and, uh, and let me know what you're thinking of the show. And by all means, go to your Apple Podcasts or your iTunes or wherever you get your uh, your podcasts, and uh, please do leave a review. Um, and uh, I'll try to read those as I see them pop up on uh, on iTunes. Um, that is apparently a way that other people find out about the show. And I don't do nearly enough work in uh, in uh, encouraging you to do that. So uh, please do uh, uh, give us some uh, some feedback uh, via that that uh, forum. So uh, let me jump right into the show today. Uh, this is uh, going to be a kind of an interesting special episode. I'm joined by two old friends of the show, uh, Wayne Wise and Chris Maverick. Uh, they've each been on individually, and now I have them collected uh, to get to the, together. They do a show called the uh, Vox Popcast, um, but they've both been individually on my show. Wayne and I had a, an episode where we talked about it and Stranger Things and children and horror, and then uh, I had Mav on to talk about the uh, the Black Panther movie. And so um, I got this idea. They were nice enough to invite me on their show and and in the conversation afterwards I've been I shared with them that I've been puzzling over this idea um, that we'll talk about today and we'll get into that in a minute and uh, they gave me some really great suggestions and so when I did the reading I I begged them to come on and here they are uh, Wayne and uh, Chris how's it going guys good how are you I'm doing really good that was uh, Mav uh, and Wayne Wise how are you I'm good. How are you, Danny? Thanks for having us on. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. You guys are awesome. And if you're not it's, it's listening. It's a team up episode. It is. It's a team up. <laughs> I used to love those. Uh, Mar- we, have, we, have to, we have to fight first and then re- realize we're friends. That's how. <laughs> no, that's right. That's the way that works. <laughs> and you need to cover where we're coming from both sides. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> when, when Titans, Titans clash. clash. <laughs> Oh, perfect. <laughs> We've been perfect. reading comics way too long, and and this is why we do a show. And this is why you're on this show. And and by the way, if you're not listening to the Vox uh, Populorum or the Vox Popcast, there's a blog called Vox Populorum, and the, the podcast is kind of part of that larger project. Uh, you guys really should be listening to that. There will, of course, be a link to that show uh, in the show notes for this show. If you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com, you'll find all the show notes and the links for that stuff. Um, I really have been enjoying you guys' show, uh, and, and you cover a whole number of, uh, a whole array of topics around pop culture. The most recent one I listened to was actually the one about... Um, uh, political discourse. I can't remember the title of it, uh, but it was just fascinating. Um, and racism, I, and I, racism on college campuses. Yes, yeah, it yeah. was. It was, yeah. uh, it was really, really interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, it's not just about comic books with these guys. They're both uh, smart guys uh, in in just general yeah. speaking. So, uh, well, today I do want to talk about a very specific question. Um, 
most people have heard of Watchmen, uh, even if you're not a comic fan. That's sort of a seminal comic book, and it gets listed on the lists of greatest novels of the 20th century, regardless of, of, of medium. And, um, and so uh, one of the premises of that book is Alan Moore making kind of an argument that the superhero by its nature is kind of a fascist uh, figure. Uh, and so that's kind of the postmodern deconstruction of the superhero that we see in Watchmen. Um, and it started me thinking, like, what would a socialist comic book actually look like? Right. And so and I couldn't even imagine how it could work and how it might look. And so I, I posed this question to these guys privately and uh, they pointed me to a, an earlier work by Alan Moore, among other things, which maybe we'll talk about as we get going here. But uh, the, uh, the earlier work is uh, his work with um, Miracle Man uh, in the early 80s. And so I went and found uh, some collected editions of his work on Miracle Man. It was eventually passed over to Neil Gaiman. Uh, and I have not read those, but I know you guys have, so you can speak to those. But, and, and immediately I'm like, oh yes, this is, this is, they directed me in the right place. And so I want to talk about the, the Miracle Man. We'll sort of focus this larger abstract conversation around this book. But in order to do that, this is a really complicated book, uh, not just in terms of the storytelling, um, but its material history is wildly complicated. Yeah. And so uh, um, do you, some, when do you guys yeah, want to you, sort of tell us? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to take that, Mav? Because I yeah, you go about ahead. this in my class. Okay. Yeah. As, as quickly as possible. Uh, Captain Marvel was created in the 1940s, was published up until 1954 when Fawcett Company – Fawcett, the, the company that published it, went out of business. It was being reprinted in Great Britain at the time. It was really incredibly successful. The company that was printing in Great Britain didn't want it to end, so they created a new character called Marvel Man, who was essentially exactly Captain Marvel, <laughs> just with a different name and slightly different powers, and they just continued as if nothing had changed. That with, company, no, with no explanation. As with to no why explanation, it, yeah. yeah. Why the character changed names. Oh, oh, and for people who don't, when we say Captain Marvel, that's complicated in and of itself. Yeah, it's, it's Shazam. If you're, yeah, if you're reading comics now or you're aware of the movie coming out next year, it's Shazam, the character Shazam. That's but it, a whole nother show as yeah, to why that's a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, Fawcett went out of business. This British company continued to publish Marvel Man until it also went out of business. Um, Marvel Comics copyrighted the name Captain Marvel. DC Comics bought out Fawcett, so they're able to publish Shazam. Anyway, in the early 1980s, a British magazine called Warrior Magazine, they, they published essentially it was an anthology comic, uh, eight-page stories of different types, mostly science fiction. Alan Moore, very early in his career, decided he wanted to bring back this character he had read as a child called Marvel Man. And he wanted to use it as a way to address the idea of what would happen if there were superheroes in the real world, which is really kind of the underpinning thoughts of Watchmen as yeah, well. Exactly. But this is where he really started dealing with that. So it was published in Great Britain as Marvel Man when they Eclipse Comics reprinted it in America because of Marvel Comics. They couldn't call it Marvel Man. They called it Miracle Man. And that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and, and even since it's been published, um, there's been weird copyright control yes. issues. Oh, yeah. Um, even since Miracle Man came out in the 80s, right? Um, somehow Todd yeah. McFarlane is involved in all of this. and Ongoing litigation for yeah. decades. Yeah. Yes. Um, we could I spend mean, the whole show talking about that. Yeah. Combined mm -hmm. with the original Captain Marvel lawsuits to the 
Um, we, we were spoke, speaking before the show. I believe the most recent litigation over uh, who owns Miracle Man slash Marvel Man uh, was like 2016 or 2017. So, uh, um, and it's still not settled. It's just that no one knows what to do because it's not clear who owns what. Um, several, at least three or four parties claim ownership over it. And, and international copyright law complicates the whole thing. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's a mess. Yeah, and it's but some, we got a brilliant comic book. But the out book of the was mess. really good. Yes, <laughs> it's it's an amazing comic book that probably nobody has read that's listening to this show. Uh, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, there are people who have read it. Um, it's now, like I said, anthologized, and you can find it rather easily now. Mm. But that's very recent. Uh, it's uh, probably it's, no one who's read has read it who listens to our show either. Yeah, yeah. It, it is rare. <laughs> yeah, well, and it it was because of the litigation. No one had the legal rights to to have it in print for years. I I've referred to it for years as sort of the great lost epic key part of 1980s comics it, it, i think i truly think it's one of the most influential comics of the 1980s yeah that no one's ever heard of yeah in, in a lot of ways i mean for my audience who probably may have read james joyce the the publication history of ulysses is, is close i mean that was sort of yes. banned for different <laughs> reasons i mean it was banned for you know you know, you mm-hmm. know censorship reasons but this was a book that everyone sort of knew about and knew it was important but couldn't get right and, and so marvel yeah, yeah. man is in a, a little bit like that it was one of the much like ulysses it's one of those things where people are trying people are well in the proto internet days back when people used to like sort of be on message boards or meet at fan conventions you would just go and search out issues of Either Marvel Man or Miracle Man, whichever you could get, right. just to sort of complete the run. So, the, in fact, the first time I read it, I did not have them all from the same printing. So sometimes the character's name would just change from issue to issue. <laughs> yes, yeah, and now you know if you get the the whatever legitimate uh, legitimately released uh, collected volumes, the more layers on it are collected into three volumes uh it's it's retrofitted so it's got this kind of unified uh like theme but you do have the switching from marvel man to miracle man that has to go through a lot of these it's a very complicated material history and it's a very complicated story uh the 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 the, the presentation of the book itself it's very dense this is one of the books i would point to uh, I would point people who don't really take comics seriously. I would point them to this as much as Watchmen. This is a literate experience. Not only are mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, dropping of philosophers. I mean, it opens up with a reference to Nietzsche, uh, and, and there's all sorts of other philosophical and kind of classical Greek mythology thrown in mm-hmm. here. Um, but the way that the story is told is very literate, very dense and very difficult. Uh, and, and it's a very postmodern reading experience. So this is not something you're going to breeze through in a night. Um, by any oh. means, um, but it is a really rich and rewarding experience and, and kind of astonishing uh, on, on many levels. It's something that I think you should read. Uh, and so yeah. now the reason we're reading it today is because it kind of gets at it's our Alan War is kind of an earlier attempt at doing at the deconstructive work he was doing in Watchmen. Um, uh, it, he's doing this a little bit earlier and in a slightly different way. And so uh, I want to get to that in a minute. But I did. I, I threw a little call out for questions uh, from listeners. And I did get a couple of Zach Rogers and uh, Jay Eldred both wanted to talk a little bit about Watchmen. Um, and so. Jay, just incidentally, this is sort of an, uh, a before we start talking question. He has a question about Rorschach. Um, is he a em, is emblematic of, of toxic masculinity, uh, as some claim? I have not actually heard that, but I can I can see it actually. What do you get? What are your guys' thoughts on that? 
Um, not as much as the comedian is. Uh, yes. True. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, the, okay, the comedian so, is actually so a, 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 a predator, right? Yeah. 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 I have a slightly, I have a slightly different um, view on it. I'd say that comedian, comedian is Moore's look at masculinity. Moore is a very odd guy, and the comedian is Moore's attempt to look at not only masculinity but his stance on what American nationalism is. He is, yeah. you know, he he is a bully um, in in Moore's view, and so I think definitely um, Moore has very complicated personal politics and religious views. And I believe Rorschach, Rorschach is intended to be a look at objectivism. He's a he's yeah. very much um, based on on um, on a Steve Ditko character. Well, two Steve Ditko characters. One is the question, and the other is a character called Mister A. Mm. Um, way too complicated. You don't care who he is. <laughs> that, that's a different episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a different series. But um, but but Steve Ditko very much is a disciple of, of Ayn Rand and more is on record as saying, this is really stupid. If you take this to its logical conclusion, this is what this is the guy you get. This is the guy you get. So Rorschach is very much, I'm trying to think, okay, so probably the most famous Randian thought person right now is probably, um, speaker of the house, house, Paul Ryan. Sure. And, and, and Rorschach is very much, Moore's look at let's just take this guy if you really believe this this is who you'd be and it's screwed up so I think people view Rorschach as the cool guy who yeah. um, like he, he he very much became the fan favorite which Moore is also on record as saying he does not like because he thinks that you were supposed in, in Moore's mind you were supposed to read Watchmen and you were supposed to go oh my god this guy's insane no yeah. no these, but, these guys are all terrible people right right but everybody loved him, and so I think, I think viewed from a 2018 lens, he is very much. If if if, Rorsch, if Watchmen were written about superheroes coming to prominence in 2018 instead of 1985, Rorschach would be a crazy MRA incel guy who suddenly um, <laughs> found himself becoming a superhero, and yeah. he probably would be that. Uh, that guy yeah. um and so if we look at it with sort of our current i mean it's not that long ago but if we look at it with contemporary sensibilities he yeah. very much feels like that but i don't yeah. think he was intended to be that kind of person i, I think he so was intend- more intellectual yeah, yeah I, I think he was also bernard gets the the yes. taking vigilanteism into your own hands type thing which that's a reference that made sense in 1985 and no one listening to the show knows what i mean <laughs> <laughs> well i do um, so yeah and, and they have wikipedia for that they can yeah, look it up so. um yeah and, no and i, I totally spoken for our show I was yeah. like, you have wikipedia just google it <laughs> yeah i what else are those things for if not to look up right. things you don't know right and so um yeah and i i agree with all of that and i i do actually it's interesting because rorschach's name Name is you know associated with psychology and, mm-hmm. and and I actually wonder now that we're talking about this if the whole Jordan Peterson thing is somehow I mean he does reminded me of someone who would be a disciple of Jordan Peterson uh, the, the who's this Jungian psychologist who's kind of uh, big in the news right now and so and uh, and is often associated with this kind of uh, oh sort of 
you know, uh, men's movement, men's rights kind of uh, uh, philosophy. And so uh, I'm just posing it out there as a question for you to think about further. That's one of the things you can uh, yell at me about on the on the on the Facebook page or wherever <laughs> else. And so uh, I do love to keep the conversation going. And Jay's second question is actually, I think, something that we'll get to at the end of Miracle Man, probably more in depth. It's is the world that uh, that Dr. Manhattan ultimately creates worth living in. Uh, and it's Ozymandias, I think, that actually is sort of yeah. behind the plan there, right? Um, is it worth living in built as it is on the biggest lie ever told, right? And so that's kind of um, the... <laughs> absolutely need to read Miracle Man. Yes, Miracle yeah. Man ends right. with basically that question, yeah. right? And, 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 yes. and, and, and that's the plot of the ongoing doomsday clock that DC is putting out right now that brings the Watchmen characters into the DC universe, so... yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's uh, a huge. I mean, you guys know comics and uh, more than anyone. You know, Wayne, you know, lives in a comic store, and, <laughs> and and Chris is writing his dissertation on it right now, right? And so you guys know this stuff. There's there's depths that we just won't be able to get into. Um, Zachary Rogers actually does suggest we do an episode on Watchmen, uh, and it's probably worth doing. Maybe after the Doomsday Clock thing is wrapped up, we can uh, we can revisit that somewhere down the road. Um, but let's sort of uh, get into. Miracle Man, uh, per se, because I think that question does lead uh, lead us to the the questions that that, that comic is, is actually asking. It's very postmodern, right? So just structurally, yes. let me just sort of prepare the reader for it. It's kind of interspersed. This modern story that Alan Moore is telling is not only a revision of the character, it actually imports text. Uh, it actually imports mini stories from the old character, right? Uh, and so you've got the original version of Miracle Man, this kind of hammy, cheesy 1940s and 50s comic book in the middle, like speaking back at the comic that he's writing right now. And so there's this ongoing conversation between the original text and the text that's under deconstruction at the same time. And that makes it a difficult reading experience because you're trying to create the links that Moore is trying to get you to create. And so, um, go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say, yeah, it also does you know, speaking in as a postmodernist, it does one of my favorite postmodern tropes that really only makes sense in comics and maybe in animated cartoons in the flashback stories. There is, there's a distinctive artwork change. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that you you can tell. I mean, obviously, there's a story structure change wherein the 1940s comics are very cheesy and hammy, as you just said, whereas the 1980s comics are much more the gritty hyper realism that they were going for in the 1980s. But the art artistically, it's drawn differently yeah. and very intentionally so. Yeah, yeah, and there are a number of artists involved with this too, uh, and that so even the. The current uh, Miracle Man story, as we're reading it, is drawn by several different people, right? Yeah, and, yes. and and so it's uh um it, it it's kind of a oh gosh it's a disorienting experience to read this yes. book for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't have the. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's. I would say denser than Watchmen, uh, with the exception Watchmen actually has pages and pages of, of non pictorial text, right? Of just, of, of just prose. It doesn't have that, but it has. It does in some versions. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the version there, I saw didn't. There, yes, there are versions that have extra, extra textual material. <laughs> and, and there's no pirate story, uh, ghost pirate story. <laughs> there uh, is no pirate story. Um, but, uh, but although there's the characters of the warpsmiths who appear in Miracle Man who have their own series okay yeah. in, in warrior magazines <laughs> i've actually never i've actually never actually read the, the I, i've read a few of them not all of them they, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fun but they're not miracle man 
Well, so let's kind of talk about the character as he was and what Moore did with him. Um, Chris, uh, since Wayne took the last one, do you want to like okay. do a comparison of in, the old? In brief, Captain Marvel, as Wayne described, uh, Shazam, as you probably are more likely to call him today, is the epitome of boyhood wish fulfillment fantasy in superheroes. He is the idea that as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old boy, I can say a magic word and I can be transformed into Superman. That is the story of Captain Marvel. And in fact, originally, very blatantly, he was Superman. He's a guy who can fly, is super strong, is super fast. Just very basic generic superhero trope. Um, In a way, beyond what... um, even what Superman was certainly back then, but even what Superman became Captain Marvel is a boy scout. He is cheesy. He is fun. He is, uh, he is a child's idea of what it means to be the ultimate good guy. He is hokey. Uh, when Captain Marvel was canceled miracle, I'm sorry, Marvel man took over and continued that character. So the only, the only Visual, the only obvious shifts between Marvel Man and the, the original Marvel Man and Captain Marvel was they changed the name. Instead of saying Shazam, he started saying Komoda, which is atomic spelled backwards. Yeah. Um, and Mary Marvel inexplicably became a boy with no explanation um, <laughs> in, in the comics. Uh, Captain Marvel has a kid sister and Miracle Man has a young, a young, two younger brothers instead of a basically Captain Marvel has. A, a younger brother and a younger sister. They're not actually related. Let's not worry about it. And in Miracle Man, they're two boys instead of a boy and a girl. Um, there's no explanation for why that just happened. So that was the 1950s um, yeah. Marvel Man. Yeah. And then when they brought it back, when Moore brought it back in the early 80s, the dark version is very much a. Well, that doesn't make more saying, well, that doesn't make any sense, much like Watchmen is a this is not what the world would be like. What would this really be like? And in the Watchmen world, no one has powers except for this one guy in the in the Marvel Man world, the Miracle Man world. Well, if they really do have superpowers, if everybody, not everybody, but if many people really do have superpowers and there are essential, essentially gods walking among us, what would this be? And. Moore does not have a very and this this carries on through much of Moore's work from from Swamp Thing to um, Watchmen to his League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stuff. Uh, uh, Prometheus, one of his more recent books. Moore doesn't necessarily have the best view of humanity as a altruistic movement. So he believes that in a lot of ways things would just go really, really badly. Yeah. And that's. For, the, for most of his run on Miracle Man, it's really about that. And then he starts posing the question that he'll pose later in the, you know, the central thesis of Watchmen is, what if one guy just decides to fix it and make a, and make a perfect world? Mm-hmm. So that's what it becomes. Yeah. The, the Miracle Man character is essentially, I mean, to begin with, at the beginning of the story, he has no memory of being, he's in a secret identity. He's Michael Moran. He's a dumpy middle-aged man who's married uh, and has no memory of ever having been the superhero. That, that's been removed from him. So, And then one day he accidentally says atomic backwards and is Miracle Man again, <laughs> um, which which brings it all back. I Part the part that I find fascinating the the impetus behind the villain Kid Miracle Man, this kid was ten years old. He was given a magic word that would turn him all powerful. And as you said, you know, here's he's an all powerful adult. 
And Alamore asked the question, if you're 10 years old, why would you ever turn back into a powerless 10-year-old if you can be the most powerful person in the world? Yeah. So Kid Miracle Man doesn't. Doesn't. Yeah. So so he grows up with all these powers, but internally he still essentially has the morality of a ten year old. Yeah. And I find that that idea is to me is one of the most fascinating parts of this entire story. It is. And and what they do with his character, he's sort of the central villain of the movie and ultimately or the book, excuse me, the book. Yeah. Uh, this would, I don't know how you would make this into a movie, frankly. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, it would oh. at the very least have it would be to be so a, dramatic. Yeah, it would have to be a 20 part Netflix series to, to yeah. capture everything. But um, uh, it, but at the climax of the uh, of the of the book, he actually I mean, basically destroys London and like 40 yeah. million people die because yeah. he just goes crazy. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. The, uh, those, and those pages, I just have to throw in the, the personal connections. Those were drawn by an artist by the name of John Tottleben who worked with Steve Bissett on Alamore swamp thing. Uh, John Tottleben still lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. I was in grad school in the mid eighties at Edinburgh. Tottleben and I shopped at the same store. I got to know both he and Bissett. I saw some of the Miracle Man pages he was drawing before they were published. Oh. Um, that last battle scene, London being destroyed, yeah. are overtly Hieronymus Bosch. It was his and, – and some of that imagery shows up in the Swamp Thing stuff as well. But it's like this is hell on earth. Yeah. And that is a great story, Wayne. That's one of the things I, I love about this show is people sharing like amazing personal stories like that. Recently, someone told me about uh, someone going to uh, Rome and going to confession in, uh, in an English speaking booth. And it turned out that they were actually confessing to John Paul II as, as Pope, who actually. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that um, some that, great that, stories every now and then. come That, out. that, that trumps me knowing John Toddleben. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is pretty good, though. I, I love that kind of uh, insider uh, access there. So um, but so, yeah, and absolutely. It's hard to talk about. There's so many like uh, it's hard to summarize the plot, I suppose, of this book. Yeah. But. But just to very briefly do it so that makes some sense. Um, once uh, Mar- uh, Miracle Man recovers his identity, the, the, a lot of the narrative is about him discovering who he really is, kind of, right? And then what that does to Earth. Uh, once, once Earth, once that becomes apparent to everyone else on Earth, everything changes. And, uh, and so once he discovers who he really is, Kid Marvel Man, who was uh, one of his two sibling partners uh in in the old days he um kind of comes out as of the closet and reveals himself as this kind of villain that's been plotting to take over the earth uh in in the absence of marvel man these last 20 years or whatever and uh and so he they have a fight and then in the course of that fight kid marvel man represses the uh uh the, the the hero part back into his and he becomes a 13 year old boy again uh and in the course of being abused and literally raped uh in in this case that's when he he lets go and lets this evil person come back out and he destroys 40 million people in london right and so um yeah this is uh the scope of alan moore's storytelling here and 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 marvel man's own story is just as kind of um is as big as that and so um also real quickly so that's a little bit of the postmodernism that's that's inherent in this it's a it's a really interesting revision at one point i i kind of got a kick out of once marvel man recovers his memory once um 
Moran, once the once the person who is not Marvel Man recovers his memory, he starts telling his wife uh, his story. But his story is a lie. It's like an implant um, put there by the the main. Well, I guess another villain in the story who's kind of the creator of 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 these of these beings who found some alien technology. It turns out and and uses this technology to create these kind of beings who can exist in two bodies, basically. And uh, and so this is uh, where this this group of people came out or came from, but they didn't know that. Right. And so they were part of kind of a government project of creating a, a weapon, if you will. And so they find out that they were weapons. And, uh, and she, so when he's telling her the real, the story that he remembers, it's like really hokey. Right. Uh, and, and she starts laughing at him. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it turns out that it really was as hokey, like uh, as hokey yeah. as all of that. Right. And so, yeah, go ahead. Wait. Yeah. No, no, just yeah. There's and that you're right. That's part of the postmodernism thing. It's commentary on you know, all of us who grew up reading comics, grew up loving these hokey stories, but they're, they're pretty silly. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I think the point uh, the point more trying to make is yes, it's silly. This was how we were trying to explain morality and prepare you. You were a child, so we gave you <laughs> yeah. a child story. I mean, and yeah. and he's and he's like, yeah, of course it's ridiculous. You were twelve. That's the, you know, that that's the garbage we feed 12 year olds because what we're going to tell you, we're we're defining you as an element of war. We were going to tell you that we told you you were fighting aliens. Yes. And, and 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 there is much of the story is all of his adventures. A lot of them are just dream implants and other ones. The real mm-hmm. ones are they overwrote whatever really happened with hokey alien stories in order to sort of let him cope as a 12 year old boy which is kind of what we do, you know, with, with children. So that's more sort of commenting on that and sort of trying to um, reconcile his darker story with these earlier. And, and his, that conversation with his wife, I mean, throughout the story, is it Liz? Liz, Liz's wife? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think Liz is the most tragic figure in the story because, you know, he, once he becomes miracle man, he is essentially godlike. He is perfect in every way. And she is still merely human. And she becomes very aware of that. She can't quite live up to that that perfection. And it raises that question of, is this the man I married? It is, except it's a perfect version of this, so not really. And I can never quite live in that world. So there's this, over the course of the story, he's trying to save her and protect her and, and save their marriage. And he loves her. And she is gradually seeing him pull away from her because he's no longer truly human yeah yeah and 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 it's so it's it's a really profound and like i said dense and philosophically dense and difficult text uh just to sort of get your mind around what he's saying once you interpret what's actually happening in some cases um but just as a sense of um the gravity that he's trying to uh, take this really super hokey superhero from the 40s and 50s and, and revise them into something kind of dark and postmodern. There's a line from somewhere in here I, I've uh, I've captured. Um, so though diminished, but he's talking about the modern day and how um, and, and like the, what the world has kind of decided it needs um, through through though diminished by jets and telephones. Each day the world grows conceptually larger as a focal point. 
This big world demands a big house with big people to fill it. When politicians and movie stars become inadequate, only gods remain, right? And so that's kind of uh, like a, you know, a, an internal piece of uh, monologue in his head as he's thinking about his role in this new world um, post-destruction of the old world, basically, with that battle with Kid Miracle Man. Um, and so that's kind of the, the thesis of the story. And we'll get into the political ramifications of that. But real briefly, there are, for those of uh, my listeners, and I know there are many who are, you know, committed religious people, uh, there is a lot of really interesting religious work uh, to be done uh, in interpreting this this book as well. Um, in addition, I mean, apart from the fact that he basically sets up a pantheon of new pagan gods uh, by the end of this book, mm-hmm. uh, he as miracle man makes his wife pregnant, not as, not as Moran, not as Mikey Moran, Mickey Moran, um, as miracle man, he makes his wife pregnant. And that baby then has this godlike ability too. And those scenes with the baby is just bizarre because you have this infant who's talking and, and, and flying and, and, doing, <laughs> and, and all evidence points to, she is far superior to him yes. at six yeah. months of age. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, he, uh, Liz essentially, in their world gives birth to now you haven't gotten to the second half of the book, the, the, the new game and stuff, yeah. but for all intents and purposes in their world, they give birth to a new Messiah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. winter is the baby's name yes. and, and winter is, they discover winter can talk when she's two months old yeah. and they're like, wow, you can talk. <laughs> she's like, I, I could talk when I was born. I just didn't have anything to say. Yeah. Um, and she is, for the rest of the book, because she disappears out of out of Moore's story relatively quickly, yeah. and comes and comes back for Gaiman's stories, and she is um, omnipotent for like even yeah. more so than he is. For yeah. all intents and purposes, she is just a being of godlike power, and that yeah. has many many ramifications. In the yeah, it, if he's the next stage in human evolution, she is ten stages beyond that. Yeah, yes. exactly. And and they even refer to the the birth as the nativity, right? Uh, yes. In, in this yeah. book, uh, and when she's born in this story. And by the way, uh, just to prepare you, that's a really graphic birth scene. Uh, it's uh, there was <laughs> there was a lot of controversy about that at yeah. the time. Yes. I have I have a quick anecdote anecdote about that. I was rereading this. You mentioned that I'm my dissertations on comics, so I reread the entire series um, about a year ago, from start to finish. Um, and I have, um, I have, I have scans of the entire series on my iPad, which makes it a lot easier for me to, you know, read things. So I was just working my way through it. And when I was flying back from a conference and so I'm like, I, I, I read issue eight and then I, I was sitting, sitting on a plane next to a 10 year old girl who, who for reasons that I do not understand, her parents were sitting seated in the row behind us and they sat her by herself with me and i don't know why you know her mother didn't just i I don't know how she ended up getting her own seat but that's how but that's how it was and i just looked at her and and i got the end of issue eight and i realized what the next issue was and i was like (laughs) well i'm 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 not reading this yeah right (laughs) i'm not and i and i talked about this on on facebook and and a lot and it started a lot of controversy with this is you know this is in 2017 a lot of people were like well you don't know if her parents would have been upset it's like i don't know if her parents i don't know if this little girl knows where babies come from or not (laughs) i am not going to be responsible that's your not your job for, for, for her finding out it is um it is well, and, 
and it is at 22 pages of medically accurate child. Yeah, it's clinical. Yeah. It's clinical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and in 1987 or whatever year that book came out, that was far more shocking and disturbing and controversial than 40 million people dying in London. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, and they did, yeah, and I mean there were there were calls graphically now, dying. Yeah, it's not it's not sexual at all. No. It is um they drew it from medical textbooks. It is twenty-two straight pages of medically accurate childbirth and and it without without punches pulled. And uh, I'm not trying to scare your listeners away from it. It's a really good story. Yeah, it's a really and, good story. But, and it and but be prepared. Yeah, but be prepared. It is you know, as bloody and gory and as an actual baby being born, because that is the point of it. And they were trying to make it a very real moment. And yeah. it, it really is. So it was very controversial. Yeah. And, and, and and the contrast between this this very graphic, very human birth to the idea of the next Messiah being born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly right. This is yeah. not a... Um, pie in the sky kind of invisible God that he's creating, right? This is taking all of that power and all of that omnipotence and infusing it into our material world. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a very, I mean, a good reason to make the creative choice to make that as graphic and prolonged as possible. I mean, that's the point he's trying to make. Right. Um, And and he does a similar thing. I taught um, at one point the, his, uh, graphic novel from hell which is about the mm-hmm. jack the ripper murders and and he goes into great detail about the sexuality and violence in that to drive home the point the, the physicality of what's actually going on right um mm-hmm. and so yeah that's also another very graphic book um, yeah. um and also very dense i mean alan moore is not yes. an easy read right that's 400 pages of tiny tiny frames uh <laughs> <laughs> full of text right uh and black and white and so um but yeah at any rate that opens up a really interesting religious question, right? Uh, and the idea that we are creating material gods and not sort of invisible, immaterial gods and, uh, and creating kind of a new, a new paganism basically out of this, right? Uh, he actually constructs something. I mean, the last book is called Olympus, right? He actually mm-hmm. constructs a, a, a new Mount Olympus on the ruins of, of London. Uh, and, uh, and so, and it's really, um, religiously provocative. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to warn people off. I'm saying that you need to read this if you're a religious person, yeah. because it's going to make you think about your religion in a really interesting way. Right. Uh, and so, uh, any other thoughts on that, that whole thing before, we move on to the real topic here 40 minutes well, in <laughs> well, yeah. well if, i mean if when, you haven't really again you haven't read the, the the game in half um it poses it poses and this is going to tie into the political section too because um i, I mean i we can't do this episode without spoilers but the central after the yeah. kid miracle man um incident essentially miracle man is left with this question of well I certainly can't allow that to happen again. So, um, and if I if I really am an all powerful being, he does the same thing from from Watchmen. Why don't I just create a perfect world? So he creates a utopia, and that's what the um, that's what the letter the latter half of the series yeah. is about. It's about dealing with living in this utopia, which yeah. is sort of I mean, it's sort of mandated by this god man walking among us and his in his pantheon because there's also a, a, a miracle woman 
who we didn't talk about at all. Yeah. There's Winter, the baby. She comes back and and she is an all she she is eternally. She decides that she wants to stop aging when she's visibly about four. Mm. Um, so she is an eternal four year old who um, is all powerful and is essentially the god of this reality. And then also as minor characters, you have um, the wordsmiths. The, yeah. Well, no, well, no. I was thinking of the regular people. You have, oh. you have. They are opposed by. There are factions opposing them as false gods that are Christians yeah. and Muslims who have decided to band together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To because no, no, no. Our our differences don't matter yeah. anymore when there are these other people walking amongst amongst they, us. They established that that very quickly combination of of their powers and the alien technology. They eliminate war. They eliminate hunger. They cure disease. They cure disease. They all but cure death. Yeah. Money. I mean, there's this great speech about how money is a concept. It always was. Yeah. That that dollar in your pocket means has no meaning other than the meaning we agree to. Yeah. And I'm now saying it means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, going back to the religious factions, that's also that it appears here. Like in it, there's like these breaks in the middle of the action of that kid miracle man apocalypse. Uh, and he starts telling the story from the future perspective in which he says, you know, in the future, this event will be mythologized um, by, by, yeah. by mm-hmm. people uh, who come after us. And this faction of people, this religious sect will read it in this way. This religious sect will read this event in this way. And so he starts like establishing the kind of formation of new of a new sectarianism. This is a sectarian yeah. review podcast. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 like while it's happening, and, and so it's really provocative uh, religious um, question. Um, but it also leads into the political one, and I want to kind of yes. take that that moment to go in here it, it, as he's reflecting. He's sitting on a, a pile of bones, basically, and <laughs> and, and rubble, and he says uh, to himself, "These." And he's talking about the kind of sacredness of the space where 40 million people have just been butchered in really gruesome ways um, by by Kid Miracle Man with his godlike powers. Um, These charnel pastures serve as a reminder, a memento mori, never letting us forget that though Olympus pierce the uh, though Olympus pierce the very skies in all the history of Earth, there's never been a heaven, never been a house of gods that was not built on human bones, right? And so um, this is where I feel like what he's trying to do is overcome and point out the fascism of superheroes, okay? Yes. And mm-hmm. what he's saying, what the conclusion he comes to is that you can't, right? I mean, what, what is, a, what is erected in its, in, uh, these people realize that they're, they're fascists. Uh, what is erected is this kind of Aryan race of gods, of Ubermensch, uh, who are kind of overseeing, uh, the management of the world. And so, um, and one black guy. Yes, and, and you guy. do yes, have the fire, this, Drake. the fire. Yeah, the guy who's like uh, controls fire, right? Uh, yeah. And he even takes on a godlike persona. Basically, he becomes yeah. kind he of like Vulcan, Vulcan yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and so it's a politically fascinating thing. Like, um, and this quote has come up several times on this podcast recently, and we're not sure who to attribute to, whether this is Zizek or Frederick Jameson. But uh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Okay, uh, and and this is a you know a kind of a famous quote and a famous problem that gets posed in sort of leftist circles, and and more 
clearly can imagine the end of the world, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right. Uh, yes. and, and he even <laughs> imagines the end of our modern version of economy, right? The, the, I mean, he has this really interesting conversation with Margaret Thatcher, uh, like at this point after the apocalypse, and he's resetting up this new, uh, this new order. Uh, and he says something along the lines here. Let me see if I can read it. Uh, after that, the world economy must be restructured, broken down into more manageable units. And you see Margaret Thatcher raising her hand. Um, no, no, no. This is all quite preposterous. We can never allow this kind of interference with the market. Uh, and then there's a very kind of sinister close-up on Miracle Man's face. And he says, allow, with just that word. And Margaret Thatcher immediately kind of realizes who she's talking to, right? And, and so mm-hmm. they do get rid of capitalism as we currently know it, right? Yeah. But what replaces it is not socialism, right? You don't replace it with this utopia. You re- replace it with a utopia that is full of questions about whether it's worth it, whether what we've created is any better than than what we've left behind. And, and so I just kind of want to get your guys' uh, uh, Wayne, I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on the seeming impossibility of creating an actual socialist comic book. Uh, like, like Alan Moore tries to do it yeah. and realizes in the middle he can't. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do, I think that question gets addressed in, in a lot of comics is, you know, one of the, that core question of the superhero is you have this power. Where do you get the authority to do the things you do? Uh, is it just simply because you might, does might make right? Uh, in the case of Miracle Man, yep, <laughs> he he changed the world because he, he was capable of changing the world. But you know, the question always from that point on is always, well, then what comes next? And that's part of what we see in in the Neil Gaiman run of Miracle Man as well. It's it's, and unfortunately, Neil Gaiman's the Eclipse Comics, the publisher, went out of business. Neil Gaiman's first story arc was finished. Um, just did, he had planned three story arcs and, yeah. and just they never came out. And but it was very much about that. Pretty much every issue was a self-contained story about people living in this world and what does that mean now? Yeah, in his in his half, the the main characters that Moore sets up: Miracle Man, uh, Miracle Woman, Winter. They're mostly supporting characters in the game and stuff. The main they are, but they each are, individual story are regular people dealing with the world that Miracle Man has created. They're, they're essentially you know, untouchable gods at this point. You know, they're they up there controlling things, but you have no direct contact with them. Yeah, so, and, and there are characters who go on a pilgrimage to meet them, to ask them for boons. And the, in, in the one story, you know, the, like two people make it, and Miracle Man grants the wish of one of them and doesn't the other. And there's no reason for it. It's kind of a whimsical. He, he doesn't explain why he doesn't grant this yeah. boon. And, and, just, and he, he becomes a whimsical god who's just like, that's my choice. I don't even remember what they, I, I mean, and it, they were relative, I mean, not, not it, it, they were important. Like they're, they're relatively obvious things that one might pray for. Like, can you heal my wife's disease or my child or whatever? And he just decides to heal one of them. Yeah. And not the other because that's how life is and he doesn't explain it. Okay. It's fat. Yeah. And so those are more theological. That's, uh, you yeah. know, a theodicy, right? Those, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Right. And so, uh, that, that's, uh, definitely a, a religious question there too. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of what Gaiman is doing then in trying to picking up that world and looking at it from 
the ground up, I suppose. And I suppose that's where you have to begin in order to kind of craft. I mean, if I wanted to make a comic book that was a, that over, and I I realize I'm being a little provocative in um, equate, I'm sort of too closely equating fascism and capitalism. Some of my listeners will be happy for me to hear me do that. Um, Others will take exception. And I realize that I'm, I'm overstepping that a little bit. I'm making a a bigger claim than I probably Mm -hmm. can make, but um, just for the sake of, simplicity here um like when you try to overcome the sort of fascist slash capitalist uh system that is inherent in these kind of stories is is it possible to tell a story that isn't that doesn't create that (laughs) i don't know if it's impossible but i think in their version at at least in the more in gaming world to enforce a so again miracle man cures hunger, capitalism, disease, war. He stops these things, and he makes a perfect world where everyone... I mean, there's no racism in their world. Everyone you're, is equal. Yeah, you need... It. So now you have a fascist regime forcing yeah. socialism? Yeah, your, but, needs are ta- your needs are taken <laughs> care of. There's no need to make money because you don't have to buy anything. Right. The, their world is completely benevolent. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of... There's a question of free will with it, but... Yeah. It almost doesn't – I mean it's not like free will. Like he's, he's not controlling anybody's mind. You just aren't allowed to leave. There's no war because you're not allowed to have war. Well, but isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's no racism because you're not allowed to have racism. And I, like, I don't know what to do with that. Like yes, it's great that you have solved all of society's ills with this. But you – but it takes in the, in the question of – it seems to only be working because uh, godlike beings can enforce this will. Yeah. And, and, and at least up through issue 21, 24, whatever the last one published was um, Mike Moran slash miracle man is implicitly kind of a good dude. So yeah. yeah right. If you're, if you're, if your benevolent overlord is stays benevolent, it's kind of great, but Knowing where Gaiman has said he wanted to take the story, and you can sort of see the hints of it in the last two issues, where it starts to kind of crack down. And is Miracle Woman quite as benevolent as like she might be manipulating mm. things? So mm. what happens if you if you give somebody all the power to force a to force a perfect world? What happens when they're not perfect? And I think that's what was going to happen in the next yeah. arc, but it never finished, so we don't know. Yeah, well, and there was also the whole. As we saw this happen with his wife, Liz, yeah. as he becomes more godlike, he becomes more and more removed from his essential humanity. Yeah. In and a Dr. Manhattan and, kind of way. Yeah. yeah, in a Dr. Manhattan sort of way. Yeah, very much so. And so then the same question comes up with Dr. Manhattan is you know, if you are no longer human, can you really relate to these people who you are ruling over? Can you really understand what their true needs are if you no longer have those needs? Yeah. And if Marxism is about the transcending of class and the kind of elimination of class, um, they can't do it. Right. I mean, the, this this story, Moore's end of the story ends up with a big party on Olympus. And uh, yeah. and, and look how great everything is. I mean, everything is legitimately great uh, in the world, yeah. basically. Uh, and I mean, even there are people who dissent, uh, who basically just live in the woods and they're like, well, I wish they wouldn't do that. But, you know, they can live in the woods then. And so mm-hmm. um, and, and be poverty restricted. Right. Um, and so there's even a. a a bit of free will uh, out there, right? Um, but the sort of the last lines of of uh, 
of Moore's run on Miracle Man here. Um, it's been five years since my rebirth. I come here quite a lot. And he's sort of looking over from the top of Mount Olympus, uh, looking over the world, basically. Sometimes I think of Liz. Sometimes I wonder why she turned down my offer, my offer down. He had offered her the ability to basically become godlike too. They've developed a technology that allows other people to become, you know, super gods, right? Um, sometimes I wonder why she turned my offer down. Wonder why anyone should not wish to be perfect in a perfect world. Sometimes I wonder why that bothers me. And sometimes, sometimes I just wonder, right? And so this is, uh, that's where the book ends, right? Is him just kind of, <laughs> pondering um, the complexities of the world he's created and uh, and realizing that that maybe he hasn't actually accomplished what he thought he was accomplishing because he had took out humanity from the equation. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the imperfections of humanity. And so I guess my question is, is so maybe a, a simple one. Maybe it just goes back to that quote, that Jameson slash Zizek quote about imagining a world after this. Uh, it's like, can we uh, can we can't is it impossible to depict a socialist world in comics because it is impossible to achieve that in real life? This is a question I'm sort of asking, mm-hmm. uh, not just you guys, but yeah. uh, but my listeners out there. Um, and it's, I'm kind of in the position of Miracle Man here, just posing the question. Right. Because uh, I don't know the answer. I mean, I just feel like mm-hmm. there's I can't imagine reading a comic book that was without class, without hierarchy, without um, individual power without any of those things. Yeah. And it actually be interesting. Well, and th- I mean, the genre, the superhero genres, I mean, so much of our storytelling is based on the nature of conflict. And if you take away all the reasons for conflict, what stories are left to tell? Yeah. You know, so, so there's that piece of it. Um, yeah. So, and, and just as frail human beings, I don't know that we'll ever move past yeah, those things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I yeah. can, I mean, I can imagine. Can not, Go ahead, Chris. Uh, can we imagine a world without conflict? I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, the writer is just imagining the world and then telling you the world as he imagines it. And it's quite possible that I mean, Gaiman tries. There's stories that after that after the utopia thing happens, there's several books that are just thinking. Um, one of the best ones is dur- during during the time this was being published. Andy Warhol died in real life. Yeah, it's it's the 80s. So this is when Andy Warhol dies. So it's right before the utopia sort of happens in real life. The real life Andy Warhol dies Um, in the course of the comic. They basically they develop the ability to sort of capture the souls of anybody who's died in the last. uh, Do you remember? It's like it's like six months or a year months or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so since Andy Warhol has just died. He just sort of becomes a character for one issue where they just sort of have philosophical con- conversations with Andy Warhol about the nature of life and existence because without because con- it's not a conflict story. And, 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 and it's not just Andy Warhol. It's all the copies of when the Andy Warhol they make. Yeah. Yeah. There are many Andy Warhols in that story, which right, is what brilliant. Do you do? Yeah. What do you do if you can't have if you can't have conflict per se? then the conflict of the story just becomes the debating of ideas, which sort of makes the argument that maybe the socialist utopia is just this place where everyone has great big thoughts. But then if you're not that person, then do you belong in the socialist utopia? And then is, if, if you don't, then is it not really socialism? And you're back to where you started. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that story ends with the mad scientist from the beginning 
once again trying to take everything over, bringing you back into conflict. So yeah, yeah it might just it's possible that the writer just can't imagine a world without conflict because our base humanity, you know, why hasn't Marxism ever actually happened? Because human beings are imperfect and someone will always try to come out on top. Yeah. 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 Actually just, I, I follow, you know, a lot of leftists on Twitter and, and I actually saw a tweet and I'm not going to say who it was. Um, this person is kind of definitely very from a Maoist sort of uh, background. And uh, they said something about if we ever do start electing, you know, socialists that, you know, pretty soon the either the government or people who are resisting are going to, you know, try and bring it down and reassert the old order. And that's going the and the new utopia is going to have to be violently defended, basically. I mean, he's all but saying we need the gulag. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And so and so, yeah, I do feel like uh, uh, I, I sort of rolled my eyes at that one when I was reading because <laughs> I don't know that he understood exactly what he was suggesting there. But yeah. Um, well, I, I, I do want to – Danny, you and I talked about this be, before we started recording, and Mav and I talked about this before. I do want to jump into uh, another comic that attempts to answer that question. Yeah, the, yeah there's a couple I, 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 I want to talk about too. Unless, you, unless no, no. you want to finish something up with nope. that. This is a great um, um, segue into what other people have tried along these lines, yeah. and, and so I have one. I want to talk about the Red Sun story, but, um, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, just yeah, and very very quickly in the the late 1990s, uh, Warren Ellis took over an image title called Stormwatch. Stormwatch was one of many random, not very good image superhero books in the 90s. Warren Ellis took it over and immediately turned it around and made it a, a actually very good superhero comic. Uh, in the course of his run on Stormwatch, he introduced what was essentially the Black Ops team of of Stormwatch. He wiped out Stormwatch. He restarted a book called The Authority. And The Authority, as his name implies, you know, that, that's part of the, the questions he was asking. The Authority was a group of very overtly, I mean, from their first issue, he, he addressed this as these are godlike archetypes. These are the most powerful people on the planet. You know, there's a Superman archetype. There's a Batman archetype. There is you know, the magician archetype who can just basically change reality at a whim. There are seven being, yeah, the engineer who is the the technological genius. Um, these seven people get together and basically say, the world sucks. We're going to change that. We're going to make the world a better place. And they are uber liberal in their politics, in their their lifestyles, in the things they believe. Um, but they're also really, really powerful. So they decide to change the world, whether anybody likes it or not. <laughs> exactly. So, so once again, that those questions of fascism. We are the ultra liberals. Everybody should should you know live whatever. But it. at the end of the first arc, does it? Jenny Jenny is the leader of this group. Jenny Sparks. I believe there's a point where she says at the very end of the first arc, and they've essentially they've not they don't quite take over the world. They're not that, but they but she says okay. We just saved the world. Now behave because we're watching you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. And 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 it is. It was. It was sort of prescient because the the first story arc was a small <laughs> terrorist country. Yeah. The, the, this takes place in the, the book started in ni- 1999, I believe. Right in there. Some. Yeah. Ninety eight. She has yeah. one year because of the right. Right. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, not just spoilers. Too complicated to get into. But um, it's 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 just it's. It's two years prior to 9-11 okay. is the yeah. important part. And, and so they, the first story arc is a terrorist who creates superheroes 
as weapons of mass destruction, essentially launches them at three cities in a terrorist attack that destroys the cities. And there's panel after panel of skyscrapers being demolished and crashing to the ground two years before 9-11. And the authority stops this this terrorist essentially by killing him. Mm. Um, and, and that's it. And, and like Mav says, Jenny, the, the leader of the team is – this is what happens. Don't do this because we will stop you. We're watching you now. We we can't have this. And then you know, in later stories, there's you know, there's an, an African dictator who is engaging in the slave trade and all this stuff. And they basically go in and disarm him and stop him. The UN's like, you can't do this. It's an international in- incident. And you're like, we can't do what now? <laughs> <laughs> And is this book handled ironically like more handles this one um, or, or uh, so like more is consciously aware yeah, that there's the, a, these yeah, stories well, are they're not as the dense. Ele- yeah. Yeah. And that, that's it. The the writer change. Warren Ellis wrote Stormwatch. Warren Ellis wrote the, the first 12 issues of The Authority. Definitely not as dense. This was sort of the early days of the widescreen action in comics uh, It was being drawn by Brian Hitch, who did the Ultimates later. Um so it was lots of big action, not a lot of subtlety to the – I think there was a lot of subtlety underlying this big action. Yeah. You had to read between the lines, but it's nowhere near as dense. Yeah, it's Very much self-aware. But it's not it, – it's not – Miracle Man especially, Watchmen less so, but it's still there. More gets in your face and says, I want you to understand yeah. that I am critiquing you. Yeah. And yeah. yes, some people miss it, but more – I mean more writes – if you look at Watchmen, he writes chapters in between to tell you, look, this is commentary. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah the Warren if Ellis. Want, yeah, if the, you want to take it literally, you could, but yeah, yeah, you'd I mean, be a the, fascist. Yeah, yeah Warren Ellis' <laughs> authority, it's 12 issues, it's three, four issue story arcs where lots of stuff blows up. Yeah. Uh, it, it's huge over the top action, but those ideas are all there. And these characters become. Worldwide celebrities or people who who admire them and worship them, they are godlike in the ways that Miracle Man is, except somehow more celebrity is than God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More yeah, visceral somehow. They're yeah. not as removed as as Miracle Man becomes. Yeah, um, they are all very flawed beings as well. Yeah, um, yeah. They're not. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not. Again, especially with Winter. The 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 idea behind um, Miracle Man is th- these these are people who can or they're like Doc Manhattan. We can do anything. Um, the authority can't do anything. They just are. What if Superman and the Justice League decided that they wanted to control the world? You know, th- they have that level of power. Uh, Midnighter is just Batman. He's he is just a human man who has Batman style powers. OK. Um, and so like that's as much as he can do. Jenny has electrical powers. Engineer has nanotechnology. So they, they, you know, they have limits, but, and they also have some humanity. Um, once they become celebrities, some of them handle it worse than others. Um, one, mm-hmm. one guy is essentially, uh, yeah. So what do you do if you have an all powerful being, you know, the world's magician, the world's most powerful magician. Oh, and by the way, he's a heroin addict. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> just by, by the way. And, 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 and the book changes uh, 
after Ellis left, Mark Millar came on as a as the new writer, and the tone of the book changed dramatically very quickly. He just had a very different take. He was still dealing w- with a lot of the same issues. To me, it felt more more of a parody of the superhero than than Ellis's stuff did. Which is, um, which is Millar's style. Right? Yeah, which is Millar's style, absolutely. Yeah. Which one of them did? Which one of them? I can't remember if it's the Millar. It's either the first Millar arc or the last Ellis arc. That does the because it you know, goes to your other question. Can you have a fascist socialist regime? Well, one story arc says, well, what happens when the conservatives take over? The authority loses for for a bit, and they're yeah. re- replaced with a new authority. Who that, are that's that's toward the end of Millar's run. Yeah, that's Millar's run. Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember. And it's yeah. and that's actually an okay story, but it yeah. but it it's it's why is this a problem? Well, sure, it's great if you're if you're all powerful beings are benevolent, but what if they're Kind of evil. Yeah. Kind of capitalist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of Millar, I mean, this was a good transition into, I mean, I just think we should mention Red Sun, which is a, a kind of a, mm-hmm. a kind of this what if version of Superman. And basically, instead of his spaceship landing in Kansas, it lands in the Soviet Union. And he's sort of raised by Stalin. And uh, as the kind of like a perfect depiction of Soviet values rather than apple pie and mom and, and cornfields like in America. And so, um, and, and one thing that kind of rubs me wrong about that, that book is that maybe it's Millar's style then, cause this is his, his, his work as well is I kind of wanted it to be, take it more seriously. I felt like it was very jokey and, and I felt like I was kind of irritated at times when I read that book that it wasn't actually, Going, I wasn't taking the the question it asked very seriously, and so Millar doesn't do serious. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I was yeah, frustrated I, I, by I, that. I, he also wrote I, Kickass. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I knew that. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't think I really don't think he has much respect for the superhero genre. I, I think he finds superheroes inherently silly. Yeah. Um. So I, I think he needs to undermine the the concept of the superhero. He can't take it seriously enough himself to to deal with it. Yeah. In the way that Alan Moore does, or or yeah. Warren Ellis before him. Um, it, it, one thing I, that is, I mean, I I like I mean, I like a lot of his work. I'm, I do, yeah, but, I do too. Yeah, but yeah. but but, but it he, varies. Yeah, he is he is very. Moore has well, Moore is weird. Moore has his own mythology, and he's doing his own thing. Yeah. Um, if you look at Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis is a born and bred. You think we're geeks, but he lives and breathes. This is superheroes are his life, and this is all he wants mm. to do with his life. Yeah, Millar, Millar wants to do movies, and by the way, is doing it. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he and Ellis it's a is certainly world. yeah. Ellis has certainly done takes that you know, undermine the concept of the superhero, but I'd argue in the same way that. More Alan Moore does. Yeah, he, yeah. He's he, trying. He, to it's commentary on it. Yeah, it's more commentary on it than anything else. Whereas I, I think, I think Millar approaches it more as a parodic thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say one thing I did like about Red Sun was the it has this very kind of strange ending, um, but the ending. It, one of these it ends at where it begins, sorts of questions, right? Uh, and you get this sort of. Um, the necessity of a dialectic that's built into that. So Superman mm-hmm. basically does socialize all of the world except the United States where Lex Luthor has um, kind of 
made the United States this like uh, resistance to um, the Soviet project and everybody else is, you know, functionally communist and things are going great except the United States. And so and so you actually get this positive resolution out of that dialectic, out of that conflict um, between Lex Luthor and, and, and Superman as Soviet premier. And, and so it, that's one thing that is actually kind of interesting and, and more than kind of, I think quite interesting about that book. And, and, and it goes back, I guess, to what Mav was saying about um, the need for conflict, right? I mean, conflict is a productive thing and without it, like what does a story actually look like? And so um, I did, I did think that that was kind of interesting. Uh, Mav, do you have a, a an example of, of something? There's one other book I want to talk about that's more recent. I have, wow. It, it, See, my, I, if we wanted to stick to things that sort of illustrate the socialism, the, I mean, I think, I think authority is probably the best one. The, the core, the corollary book, if, at least for the first arc, is The Ultimates, which is Marvel tried yeah. to, Marvel basically hired Brian Hitch, who was the illustrator for the first authority story. To go and do it again is, okay. is uh, the best way I can. Say. Yeah, as written by Mark Millar. Yeah, <laughs> as written by Mark Millar. Of course. And, <laughs> and and with with a version of the Avengers, and it sort of there are things that are sort of great about that series, and then it quickly falls apart in my view. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that touches on it. Um, nothing is. I mean, I think Miracle Man is definitely the key one. I think. Yeah. Uh, and then Watchmen to a lesser extent. Yeah. Uh, some of Moore's later stuff tries to like he he tries to do it. Um, what is the America's whatever comics? Um, America's best comics. Oh, right. Yeah. And he's uh, like he more especially likes to approach this theme over and over again to greater and lesser success in in some of the later things like um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I just can't read anymore. I, I gave up um, several leagues ago. I don't know. If you work in a store, yeah. Wayne, you might still be trying. I, I <laughs> Yeah, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, he, he, he I did to read the entirety of Jerusalem, though. I, okay. He tries to touch on it in in um, um, uh, God Story Girl, Promethea. Yeah. A little bit. So there are a few things, but not as blatantly as the as the two that we've been discussing. Yeah, and 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 it's great. Like I said, I feel like he's drawn to this question, and he's great at pointing out the impossibility of uh, or the the innate fascism of superheroes, and even a resolution to that fascism ends up with more fascism. And then, like I said, mm-hmm. with this one, it's literally blonde-haired gods like <laughs> controlling the world from on top of a mountain. I mean, you couldn't have a socialism that looked more fascist than this, right? And so yeah. uh, and so um one so another book that was I've been recently catching up on. I've been collecting since it, he started Tanahisi Coates's um run on Black Panther. Uh and so I've been collecting it since it came out because of the nature of my life, my job, sometimes they just pile. And uh so the, since the summer started, I've been reading through my pile. And uh and he actually that book is very political. I mean, it's a political, uh, it's, it's a work of political philosophy and, and it's Wakanda, uh, is undergoing some sort of revolution against the monarchy that's upheld by, um, by, uh, T'Challa and, uh, and he's, uh, kind of putting down this uh, rebellion in his country. And so, um, 
there's a lot of sympathy for the people who are rebelling against the monarchy, right? And so Coates, I think, does a good job, again, of pointing out the kind of inherently uh, fascist nature of a monarchy in this case, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and yet, what all that he can come up with as a solution, though, is basically a constitutional monarchy. <laughs> basically, they're going to end yeah. up with England, so, right? <laughs> yeah, some of that, I think, just the limitations imposed on him by Marvel, which is T'Challa is the king of Wakanda, period. Yeah. And, and you can't really do anything to change that. Yeah, I... I I think we, have, we very, have a billion dollar movie franchise that right. depends on this concept. Right. Please don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So so I, I think there's some limitations there. But I, I'm I'm sure that you know, part of what he wanted to address was that was that idea of you know socialism, a, a country where everyone is equal. This this country has you know it's powerful, it's technologically successful, there is no want, there is no whatever. Oh yeah, by the way, it's still ruled by a traditional monarchy. There's no such thing as equal rights in a country ruled by a monarchy. Yeah. Like there's the, the idea of class is inherent in the political system. Yeah. And it, what's really interesting about it is that I think Coates does take um, Marxist critiques of capitalism and, and monarchy in this case seriously. There's a, a philosopher in this story uh, that is, I mean, he basically looks like a black Karl Marx. I mean, he's got, he's got <laughs> yeah. the beard. I mean, he just looks like what Karl Marx would have looked like had he grown up in Africa instead of Germany, right? Uh, uh, he's got, you know, giant white hair dreadlocked in, in this case, but he's, he, and he basically gives Marxist critiques of the existing system. And that is an inspiration for the, the rebellion. And, and the rebellion turns out to be kind of controlled from the outside by these kind of of, uh, external forces, right? Um, but but it does. I mean, he, he gives his ideas like serious weight, and T'Challa and him actually end up coming to an agreement, right? And so uh, it's an interesting um, like attempt at taking these ideas seriously, and yet they they can't like imagine what it would be like without it. Right. Uh, so that is a book I would recommend reading. I'm really enjoying it. I think that my personal, my personal take on it is that at the beginning Coates is learning how to write comics and, and it's, a, it's a little wordy and, and it can yeah. be a little um, uh, dense at times. And, and he, he admits to that. I, I, I got the opportunity to meet him about a year ago uh, through a mutual friend here in Pittsburgh. Again, and, the stories and, this man tells. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a name dropper. Right? <laughs> no, no, but, it's great. Yeah, but, but it was in a room full of people. It wasn't just wasn't just me and him. But but he was talking about that, and and he was very consciously aware at that point of you know, I'm learning to write comics. And one of the things he was learning is that words take up space on the page and boy, did I take up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah. So, so he was aware of it and attempting to address it. Uh, he was very conscious of, you know, he's a writer. He wants to learn his craft Yeah. and he was, he very much recognized that he was new at this craft and was still learning those pieces of it. So he seems to be very aware of the fact that, you know, there are, there are, are scrubs like me and Wayne who grew up and spend our entire life hoping to be able to write a comic book. And then he is, a guy who is already famous as a writer and then says, Oh, I, I would like to write black Panther, please. Thank you very much. And they will just allow him to do that. And he's aware of that. He's aware yeah. of the privilege inherent in doing that and trying to be as good at it as he possibly yeah. can. He's oh, not yeah. like he could just squander this and he chooses not to. No. Yeah. No, no. he's yeah. doing the research. He, he's doing the due diligence and the research and, and doing his best to, he's, to even in the, even in the, first, the craft, when I one thing that I remember uh, um, very 
and so you're reading Black Panther. You would not have noticed this because I doubt that. I don't even know if Wayne would have noticed it. It's something that tickled me from a geeky point of view. Um, when they're meeting, you know, there are several points where T'Challa meets with other leaders of of um, Northern African, Southern Asian countries, and 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 they will. There, there are several points where they're just sort of getting together for mini UN kind of meetings, where, uh, summits. Yeah, and. One of the one of the guys who often is there is a delegate from Simcaria. Simcaria is another. Yes. It's a it's a nation that has shown up in other Marvel comics. Mm. Um, there is a character named Silver Sable who is nobility from Simcaria, and she is a minor Spider-Man character who may or may not be getting a movie in the future, depending <laughs> on how things go. Her and the Black Cat. Her and the Black does. Cat. But yeah. um, but um. At least to to what I've noticed, Silver Sable has never been mentioned in this comic, and Simcaria is very inf- is never mentioned without Silver Sable. It's just that it's another country that Marvel had. Like rather than invent a random country, he said, "Well, of course there. I mean, we'd have someone from Egypt, we'd have someone from Saudi Arabia, and probably Simcaria because of course we do." And that's the kind of attention to detail that shows me that he's trying. He's yeah, trying yeah. really hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I think that there's a big improvement in I, I mean, I, I have the individual issues, so I don't know how these are put into the uh, the collected forms. But what I imagine is in the second collection, there's a big jump in um, when the crew shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. When <laughs> yeah. the crew shows up. Is that when is that when the break is? That, uh, that would be the second collection. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a it, it's a much it's much more polished and, and it's a better it's better yeah. storytelling. And that's a very quick uh, turnaround. And and I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it. I'm not someone who particularly always agrees with Coates's politics, um, but I, I do think that um, I, I really like this book. And so and I, I think it mm-hmm. it pays a lot of uh, serious attention to these questions. But yet yeah. again, um, unable to actually propose something that's substantially different than what we have already. I, th- right. I thought of one that will give you a different view that um, I don't know that I can recommend it because it's really bad. And, <laughs> um, and w- once I say what it is, I don't know if you'll know it, uh, Wayne will, and, and you'll understand why, because it's something not technically a comic book, it's a TV series lasted for one season last year called the Inhumans on ABC. Okay. Yes. Um, and it was it was Marvel's attempt to uh, Marvel has their agents of shield and they wanted to bring another television show to ABC rather than Netflix. They they do a show called the Inhumans and the Inhumans is uh, it's based on a comic book series. Um, now, again, this is really bad. I am not recommending that your v- viewers watch it. I watched it because I watched all of these. This is my job. But it does wrestle with the question because the idea behind the show is Black Bolt is their king and his younger brother, Maximus, um, his goal is to cause a revolt and have the people rise up to demand freedom. Mm. They have a very class-based system, and in their class-based system, whatever all their entire race has superpowers. You get superpowers at age thirteen when you undergo when they lock you in a magic box, pour some gas on you, and then you find out what superpowers you have. And maybe you're super smart, which means you get to be in government. Maybe you become really strong, so you get to work in the mines. It's a cast it's that system. kind of thing. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is that kind of world. Yeah, your 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 power determines your place in society. Fascinating. Right, so very class based. Um, Maximus's power, at least on the TV show, is that he has no powers. He 
becomes genetically human. They're they're all in humans are a little better than humans. Um, and Maximus goes in the box and he comes out with the ability to be a regular guy. And the only reason he doesn't have to go to the bottom of society is that he's the king's little brother. So Maximus decides, well, this sucks. And I'm going to fix society by freeing all the slaves in the mines and everybody will be equal. And I'm going to do this by taking over the government. And so there's two problems. First off, the show is not very good. It is <laughs> um, the, the guy who plays Maximus is the guy who played Ramsey Bolton in um, in Game of Thrones. And he is the only one on the show who can act. And he tries to save this show very hard. But the script is really bad. And he knows. He's the Ewan and, McGregor of, uh, of this series. Ewan yeah, McGregor yeah. from the prequels. He's trying. Uh, yeah. He's trying real hard. Yeah. Uh, but the other problem is, as you watch it, because in the Inhumans, Black Bolt, leader of the Inhumans, is a great Marvel character. He is a hero. Maximus is a villain. And when you're watching the show... Maximus is the bad guy, except that for the first three or four episodes, you pretty much just agree with him. <laughs> uh, like he's he's sort of morally objectively right. Yeah. And and it becomes it because everything the royal family is doing is kind of horrible. Um, other than the fact, I guess they're kind of benevolent. You know, it, it like being a slave on Adelands, not all that bad. I mean, they're all but but you're still this guy forced to work in the mines just because you're strong and not as smart as other people. Hmm. And so that's kind of horrible. So you want to agree with Maximus and then like four episodes in three or four episodes in the writers sort of realize that the problem that they've, so Maximus suddenly just becomes power hungry, mad, crazy murderer guy okay. for no apparent reason because they're like, Oh wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and bad so guy, bad and guy. Then, <laughs> right. And then, and then, story happens and at the end the royal family just decides oh yeah we were horrible to all of you so everybody is free to do whatever now everyone's free but we're still king yeah uh, <laughs> and society and, collapses this is, yeah, yeah and, and and then the show just gets canceled because yeah. abc is just like that yeah, i've had enough of this but it but it speaks to what you were saying before it's it's sort of an impossible story to tell because they really realize that hey we can't do this without conflict. And, you know, the show is set up such that at least for the first couple of episodes, except for the fact that he is trying to overthrow the government, the, the bad guy is right. Yeah. He's, I mean, and he's trying to overthrow the government because they really are, you know, a horrible system yeah. that enslaves people based on how, on, yeah. you know, birthright. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's not only do we need conflict, but we have to have, heroes right and and i think mm-hmm. in this kind of classless society it would have to be where like nameless everyday people are doing great things but f- not for personal acclaim or personal gain right and, and so like you'd have to also undermine like the idea of character i mean the, the, there's there's just something about the way that as westerners we've told stories that i think mm-hmm. <laughs> are maybe yeah, yeah nobody wants to read that nobody yeah, wants nobody to. Wants to, well i mean it, it's the last jedi problem you know the hero's journey the hero's journey is built around this idea that the idea of a hero's journey is you are born special yeah. and you know we, exceptionalism yeah, yeah we want to believe now the problem is everybody can't be special but what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read this story in your mediocre little existence and you're supposed to say wow what if i'm the chosen one what if i could be born special and 
the reason I understand why a lot of people didn't like Last Jedi. The reason I liked Last Jedi a lot was that basically spoilers for Last Jedi for a movie that's a year and a half old. And I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has seen. But there's a point where basically they say, oh, no, your parents were just crackheads. You're nobody. But, you know, hey, <laughs> welcome to welcome to the war. And you're doing great. And that's essentially what Ray's origin turns out to be. She's not born special. She's just somebody who tried really hard and good for her, which should be the good story. And fans revolted. Hate it. No, she have she has to be special. How can she not be special? That's and a great. It, you know, they they might undo that in the next movie. Who knows? But that's what right. I loved. I love that this moment where no, there's nothing. She's just someone who cares. You can she can make a difference. Yay! And yeah. I thought. That's a great message, but apparently that's not the story anybody wants to hear. That's People a... want to hear why does the hero, why does the hero rise from obscurity because he's born. Yeah, that's a great reading of that actually. Um, well, I want to let you guys go because it's uh, it's uh, after We're eleven already. Here, so, um, <laughs> uh, but before I do, I want to just kind of pick your brains about recommendations. I mean, it doesn't have to be comics per se. I've recently discovered, and I know it's, it's been out before, but I only recently discovered it. It's an, it's got a new series coming out or uh, that's just been out called the October faction. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's a horror comic by, I don't know that. Uh, the guy who does um, uh, 30 Days a Night, uh, the writer for that. I, yeah. remember, I can't remember the Steve name. Steve Niles. Yes, yes. And uh, and it's, it's I love it. It's uh, it's beautiful art, first of all. But it also, it just reminds me of like Scooby-Doo for some reason. And, and you've got this sort of team of paranormal investigators who are actually fighting real demons and monsters and stuff. But it's kind of like a, a grown-up adult version of of Scooby-Doo, and and, and I find that it uh, to be just really kind of captivating and, and fascinating. So I recommend going out and getting the October Faction. Uh, and uh, what do you guys have for us? I don't know that book. I'm gonna have to look at that. Have you read it? Wait, I have not read it. I, I read it when it came out. Yeah, we we probably have the book on the shelf. So remind me next time you're in. Yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. So, so it doesn't have to be new. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you straight up my favorite book in the or my favorite two books in the last three or four years. And Wayne knows what I'm going to say for both of them, um, because I'm a superhero guy. Uh, one is The Vision. Um, and Vision Tom only uh, Tom King only lasted for he, he's currently writing Batman and Mr. Miracle, both of which I like. And, and the only time I've really liked Batman in the last decade. So, yeah, so that's great. But um, I'm Vision, actually recommending Batman again. Yeah, Batman's Batman's a great book, but like. But for his finest work, there's two trade paperbacks: Vision, Little More Than God. No, 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 Vision, Little More, Little More Than Man, or wait, what is it? Little More Than Machine, Little Less Than Man. Mm. I believe are the two volumes. Yeah. But there, but but there's two volumes, and it's basically it's it's really weird. And it was a book where when um when it first came out, I was um I I, I read the first one or two, and I said, oh, I this went. Is, this is awful. I don't. I, don't, yeah, I, 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 I kind of went. Eh. Yeah. This is this is horrible. Why? Ooh, this is and not for me. And then, um, and then, Wayne and I both independently started listening to a podcast. And one day we were like, "Have you heard this guy?" And it's like, "Yeah." And then we were talking about this guy. This guy's po- um, video podcast, uh, uh, Strip Panel Naked, which analyzes one page of a comic book. <laughs> and he analyzed just one page of Vision. So I was like, "Well, let me go back and check this out." So I picked up the trade. And the problem is I tried to read two issues independently and that doesn't work. 
This is a 12-issue story yeah. that is... Read it, read it like you read Watchmen. Okay. It, is, it is brilliant. It is an absolutely brilliant yeah. take on, on heroes. And then I also, if you like more traditional superhero stuff, I liked Mockingbird by Chelsea Kane, which came out around the same time and also got canceled. That's not as universally amazing. That's more just for me. It, it worked. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the Vision series by Tom King is absolutely brilliant. Very good. I'll put it on the show notes. Um, Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because I'm in the store, I read a little bit of everything. Uh, I, I feel like I haven't discovered a brand new book for a while that has just really, really grabbed me. But in the last two or three years, uh, East of West from from Image, I, I'm liking a lot. It's an alternate history post-apocalyptic Western with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in it. Nice. Uh, and, and that's the... Easiest, <laughs> yeah, easiest way to describe it. Uh, something that has nothing to do with any of these things, but a book I'm, I'm recommending to. Ev- well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do two more. Uh, another image book, Wicked and the Divine. Wicked, yeah, I was wondering. That's what I said yeah. you were saying first. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's one uh, the 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 premise of the Wicked and Divine and Sectarian Review. We should do an episode on this. Yeah, um, for sure. The the premise is every ninety years, twelve ancient gods reincarnate in the bodies of teenagers. Oh, teenagers remember their life. But they also have the memories of and the powers of these gods. Okay. They live for two years, they burn out and they die. Okay. That's the basic and, and in twenty fourteen they reincarnate as young pop rock stars. Okay. So so this is sex, drugs, and rock and roll and mythology. Oh, fascinating. Uh, and then you're done. Yeah. But of course, the one taking place now, this has been taking place since the beginning of time. The story taking place now, the answers are coming forward there's a reason for this there's more going on than is readily apparent and it gets more complex and better with every volume um the other thing i want to recommend is i i am so not the demographic for but there's a book from boom studios called giant days and it's the adventures of three college girls oh i know i know the book i haven't, re- I haven't read that yet either yeah it, it's the way i describe it is it's more adult than traditional archie comics are it's less adult than Love and Rockets. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in between that those extremes, but it just it's the story of a group of friends in college having adventures and it's the cartooning of it is is gorgeous, it's brilliant, it's I, it's genuinely funny. I the, only, the way I describe it when I recommend it to people in the store is this is a book that just simply makes me happy with every issue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what else do you want, really? I mean, yeah, that, you know, that sounds makes great. Me happy. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Um Guys, this was awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out and, and staying yeah. up late with me here to talk about this. Um, this has uh, been really like informative for me. It's been thought provoking. I can't recommend the the book enough. And thank you for for passing it on to me. Yeah. Um, and those of you who are listening uh, to this uh, show. And if you haven't been listening to uh, to their show, the Vox Popcast, uh, by all means, go go find it. It's on iTunes and, and all the places you find your shows. Uh, it's a fun one to listen to. And and uh, I hope to have you guys back uh, as, as often as you'll come. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is great. I love we, talking we, to you, Danny. This yeah, we want to have you on ours again, too. So. Yeah, well, anytime. I'm, it's an honor. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, if you have any questions, remember to go to Sectarian Review podcast.com and you can find all the places to catch us there but do go to itunes and leave a review and uh, or at least a rating and uh, i'd appreciate uh, all the voices we can get involved in here so uh and uh for that the for wayne wise and for uh, chris maverick i am danny anderson signing off
Oh, not too bad of a, an outro there. Um, that was I'm great. I'm with your ability to hit the post. I just add them later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it works and better I, than I, others. When I, first time I listened, I, I wanted to mention, I have some friends here in town in the mid-90s. They were in a band called the Deliberate Strangers okay. who were doing this weird alt-goth country band kind of thing, <laughs> and they covered that song. Okay. <laughs> and and they, they, they did a marvelous version of it. So. Yeah, this group, they're, I guess, not active anymore, but there's some Spanish band that does like Americana, you know, whatever covers. And, uh, yeah. and so I somehow stumbled across them and I asked them if I could use it and they said, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, that was great. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. This one, I think I have this one scheduled for the 21st um, of June. So um, I have one that's going to go out tomorrow and then the next week. So this one will be uh, the 21st. I'll, of course, tag you in it so you'll know yeah. when it's yeah, out. But just gotta think, I, We just got to remember that so we remember when to mention you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll plug it. But we just gotta, it's like, what's, what is today? Today is... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the yeah, I'm going on vacation next week so I wanted to get a few weeks ahead and so now this yeah. gives me, you know, I'm covered until the 28th and so I can, <laughs> if I have to... If I have to improvise something, I have some time to do it. So, um, but that was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks for staying up so yeah. late. Uh, it oh, was, yeah. You guys are awesome as always. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, cool. um, yeah. Thanks for having us, Danny. You guys are the best. Thanks a lot. See you later. All right. No All right take bye. care. Bye bye.